Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I am Taylor Rockwell. Daryl Grove is still in Boston. I'll be talking to him later tonight, which will be Wednesday night, if you're listening to this after the fact, uh, about Greg Barhalter's latest U.S. men's national team roster. For now, I'm going to be joined by Matt Doyle of MLS Soccer fame. Uh, He wrote a great piece about the team focusing on the arrival of young players, so you should definitely check that out. Uh, In this show, we talked about the roster, the U.S. Open Cup, the MLS playoff race, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Definitely an enjoyable time and an enjoyable conversation. Uh, Before I get to that, a little bit of info about the roster itself. Burhalter called up 26 players for the USA's upcoming friendlies with Mexico and Uruguay. Uh, Michael Bradley, Josie Altador, Omar Gonzalez were left off so that they could play for Toronto uh, because they have MLS games over the international break because Major League Soccer. Uh, DeAndre Yedlin, Matt Miazga, Tim Weah, DeAndre Yedlin, Dwayne Holmes, all missing due to various degrees of injury, and according to a report by Paul Tenorio for The Athletic, Darlington Nagby turned down a chance to play for the team, uh, reportedly did the same thing uh, for the Gold Cup. So that's uh, where things stand there. Here's the roster as it currently exists. Four goalkeepers called up, uh, Jesse Gonzalez of FC Dallas, Brad Guzan of Atlanta United, Sean Johnson, NYCFC, and Zach Steffen of Fortuna Dusseldorf. Uh, in terms of defenders, we've got John Brooks, Reggie Cannon, Sergino Dest, everybody breathe a sigh of relief there, Nick Lima, Aaron Long, Daniel Lovitz, Tim Ream, Miles Robinson, and Walker Zimmerman. So, about what we expected given the uh, lengthy list of injuries. In midfield, Sebastian Legette, Weston McKinney, Alfredo Morales, he returns. Uh, also of Fortuna Dusseldorf, I should add. Uh, Paxton Pomacall, Christian Roldan, Will Trapp, and Jackson Yule. And then, interestingly, when we get to our forwards, uh, Christian Pulisic listed as a forward alongside Corey Baird, Tyler Boyd, uh, Jordan Morris, Josh Sargent, and Giassi Zardes. Uh, so, 26 players in there. We'll see if any get added or any get dropped. But right now, that's where things stand. And right now, with all that said, I'm going to turn it over to me talking to Matt Doyle. With me now, I've got my friend and yours, Mr. Matthew Doyle. Hi, Matt. Thank you very much for uh, taking the time to talk to me about all things U.S. soccer today. Oh, it is always my genuine <laughs> pleasure to talk to you. See, it started off genuine and then it went sarcastic. And now I don't know what to think anymore. <laughs> That's just my voice. I really can't help it. See, again, it sounds like you're rolling your eyes even as you say that. Um, but I mean, I mean, it's sincerely when I say we're going to talk all things U.S. soccer because we're going mm-hmm. uh, U.S. national team. We're going to talk a little U.S. Open Cup. We're going to talk Major League Soccer. I feel like we're uh, we're rounding it out well. Apologies to USL and NISA and all those things. But everything else uh, we'll get to today if that works for you. Yeah, let's do it. But first, I want to talk to you about your dietary preferences, because in Orlando, uh, we we uh, caught up with you. We had uh, tacos. It was very good. But you seem to find one of the best restaurants in Orlando fairly quickly, and that is saying something. Uh, is that a, like is that a thing you do whenever you travel? Do you go out and actively look for like the good local food, or do you just sort of know the style of cuisine you like and look for that? Oh, I I, I go out and I look for the good local food. All right. That that is always my thing um when i travel and it's like i'm embarrassed by the fact that i'm still mostly a, a monoglot you know i have a little bit of spanish and mm-hmm. i'm working at getting more um but it's hard to and most of my travel outside of the u.s or into inner cities in the u.s it, it tends to be towards the spanish-speaking enclaves um and like i want to experience that culture and i can't quite do it you know be a conversation just yet but you can sure do it with food. <laughs> That's... So wherever, wherever I go, and like I do this on vacation too. Like our favorite thing to do, me and my wife, is like we we go to a city and we do a walking food tour of the city, um, and it is the 
absolute best way to experience a new place. All right. I'm, I'm down for that. I do agree with you because like food and soccer were the two things I learned to talk about fastest yep. uh, in Turkish in Turkey. So yeah, I think <laughs> if you get your, uh, yeah, if you keep it up with the food, I think you've got the soccer market covered, so you should be good to go. And with that in mind, <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about the, the U S roster. Let's start there. Um, a few key points. Uh, no Timothy Weah, Adams, Yedlin, I believe all due to injury. Paula Areola withdrew. Nagby maybe did the same. Greg Borhalter was a little bit dodgy on that one today. Um, I'm wondering, first off, if there were any names you thought might be included that weren't, or if there were any names uh, that made you very excited that they were included. Uh, well, the, the first, we'll answer the first part first. Sure. It was those guys that you mentioned um, for injuries, I mean, Adams and Weah are the two that I would really have loved to see with this group, but we'll get to them hopefully next month. And then it's uh, Yedlin, Miazga, and Dwayne Holmes. Yeah. Um, Miazga just got injured last week. Yedlin, long-term recovery, it looks like. And Dwayne Holmes is just coming back to health. And I guess he played for Derby County this weekend and was terrible. Um, so Thanks. I would have, you know, if those guys had been healthy, I, I would have liked to have seen all of them, but like they're friendlies. It's not a, big deal at all um as for the players who uh weren't called in that i would like to see like there's a number of them um like young forwards especially uh who have mls games that weekend like i, I don't think jeremy above is ready yet but i would rather see him for these games than another round of chassis artists uh I, mason toys kind of the same thing and then i guess uh, well, I guess that leads it to like my only disappointment is like, look, Jossie's done well for the crew recently, but we, we know what he brings to the national team. And even though guys like uh, Sebastian Soto and Bobby Wood aren't really playing a lot right now in the two Bundesliga, like, there's going to be a time in the next couple of years when one or both of those guys are necessary for the U S national team. So why not start that process now? Why not bring those guys now? Um, so that that's like one of my only two areas of like just minor frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one being, I, I feel the same way about Brandon Cervania. Um, like we've seen, we've seen Will Trapp almost 20 times for the national team. Now um, we know he's been capable of having some, half decent performances, but by and large, not. Um, Cervania is not uh, an elite U20 prospect. He's not a guy who's at the same level as Pomacall and Dest or Wea or Sargent, um, but he's been really, really good with FC Dallas uh, over the past four months since the U or three months since the U20 tournament. Um, and he plays a position of need and he plays it well. So I was, I think there's an argument uh, for for one of Sebastian Soto or Bobby Wood and, and for Brandon Cervania over Will Trapp. But by and large, um, this this roster has way more guys I'm excited to see than ones I'm, I'm disappointed about seeing. That makes sense to me. Where is Corey Barrett on that list? Um, because I, he is one who I will honestly say I'm not as familiar with. I'm guessing you uh, definitely are more so. So for folks like me, like what is he bringing to this national team? And uh, how well do you expect him to perform uh, in these friendlies? I think he's probably the fourth string winger on this team. Um, and he's, he's Paul Areola-ish in his, um, in his energy. 
and his his speed um, and kind of in his touch as well at times. Um, uh, I, I think he's a little bit better in the attacking third, and he's had kind of a tough season with RSL, but over the last six weeks, especially under Freddie Juarez, he, he's, he's taken a step forward. That said, I mean, Pulisic, Boyd, and, and Morris on this roster are probably or definitely ahead of Corey Baird. Um, and then once the next generation of wingers gets added in, um, I, I think he'll have to fight for, for any sort of long-term relevance. But, I mean, that's, that's what we want. Mm-hmm. We want – we want guys to get, you know, pushed and, and maybe he's able to push back and take his game to another level and um, show that he actually can do the job. Uh, worth noting as well, he, he does play a lot of center forward for, uh, for RSL, but he plays it like he's not at all a back to the goal player. Like he just runs off the back shoulder and he tends to make runs between the center back and the fullback rather than like pure center forward runs where you're splitting the central defenders. I don't think we'll see him in that spot, but if Berhalter wants to try a kind of a janky new look, that that's something at least. Similarly, like, do you think there's a chance, Daryl and I talked about this a little bit about like the possibility of Jordan Morris going back to playing as more of like a central striker for the national team. Do you think that's something we might see from him or do you expect to, to see him consistently used as a winger? I think he's a winger now. Okay. It's, you know, he, there, there is maybe a breaking case of emergency, break glass in case of emergency situation where he could be a, a center forward. Um, but I, I don't think this is it. I, I think, and I hope that the purpose of these, these friendlies is to get Josh Sargent at least 140, 150 minutes at center forward um, against very good teams. You wrote a, 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 very, a nice piece uh, for MLS Soccer about this roster. You kind of broke it down talking about the younger generation coming through. One of the things that you pointed out in there was that uh, Pulisic listed as a forward, not a midfielder. So, uh, And I think he is in your, your list of wingers that you gave us uh, briefly earlier. Is that where you do expect him to play? Uh, Burhalter in the press conference was a little bit like uh, evasive on that one, said, like, well, he can be a 10, but he can still play wide, and he can play wide and still be a number 10. Um, so not a lot of clarity there. Are, are you sticking with maybe we see Pulisic as a winger in these friendlies? Uh, yeah, I think so. If you just look at the, I think there's seven central midfielders listed, and there's only, if you count Pulisic as a, a winger, there's still only four wingers. So just the numbers game tends to suggest that we're going to see him in what I think is his natural position, which is the, out on the wing. And he's played both, I think. I think for Chelsea so far, he's played a little bit more on the left. Mm-hmm. Um, but over the bulk of his career, he's probably played more on the right. Uh, um, I'd be happy to see him in either spot. But what I really want, what I'd be really happy to see is him at left wing. And then Paxton Pomacall is that left-sided number 10. who can, Because if, if you remember back to the Gold Cup, it, when it was Pulisic as the 10 and Areola as the left wing, they would swap and interchange all the time. Like Pulisic would be inside and Ariola would be outside, even though their starting points were opposite all the time. And Pomacall does that naturally. He's left-footed and he's actually kind of a better creator when he flares out wide than when he's sitting central. And we know that Pulisic loves to make those diving runs coming off the wing. So what I want to see, I mean, maybe more than anything in this camp, is how those two guys 
combine and whether they can sort of immediately get on the same page. So that's a big one then that you're going to be looking for. What else will you be looking for coming out of these friendlies? Is it particular players? Is it patterns of play? Is it something else entirely? I want to see how much of the system, uh, you know, and we all know that the system is in quotes now and it has a little trademark after it. Like, I want to see how much <laughs> of, the, of the system uh, the U.S. holds on to, uh, you know, that, now that he's had six months with it and a dozen games and all of that. Um, one of the interesting things to think about is that Dest and, and Lima are both right-footed left backs for their clubs. And you could take that hybrid role with the right back coming inside and playing as a demon. Well, you could take that and just transpose it to the other side and both Lima and Dest, Dest especially because he's basically an offensive player, um, would love to come inside and be like ad hoc central midfielders and then just have the right back be a little bit more traditional and a little bit more, I don't want to say stay at home, but you know, recognizable as a, as a traditional fullback. So I'm, I'm interested to see if that's the way that Sergio Dest in particular gets used. Um, Really interested to see how Josh Sargent does on both sides of the ball uh, because he was kind of lost defensively against the, against Jamaica and there were questions about his fitness. Um, and then, I mean, I, I thought that against Mexico in the final, we didn't do a good job of getting pressure to the ball in the right spots in central midfield, especially minutes like 50 through 75. Mm-hmm. They overran us. And look, it was a learning experience for Weston McKenney and, is a you know learning experience for the other guys out there. I want to see if we have some sort of answer from that or for that that comes systemically, and that comes from individual improvement in terms of recognition and role. Pardon the interruption, my dear friends. We'll get back to the chat with Matt Doyle momentarily, but I did want to let you know that today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by 4hims.com, a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. Uh, our friends over at Hims, a new wellness brand for men, would like to remind you that though summertime is here, you shouldn't feel obligated to wear a baseball hat unless you absolutely want to. If you want to wear the hat, wear that hat. But if you're wearing that hat to maybe cover up a bald spot or some thinning hair, you may not have to do that anymore Uh, because, first of all, it's worth noting that it's far more common for people to be dealing with hair loss issues than we might expect. 66% of men lose their hair by the age of 35. Uh, But you don't have to sweat that. You can sweat the hot temperatures. Uh, They've returned to Richmond. It's getting hot again. I'm assuming that's the case elsewhere. Uh, But you certainly don't have to sweat uh, losing your hair because HIMSS will connect you with real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss. They offer well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. Uh, And best of all, it makes it really easy. There's no waiting room. There's no awkward uh, in-person doctor visits. So you can save hours by going to 4 So if you're a Major League Soccer player who's maybe getting up there in years and you've got a busy travel schedule ahead of you as we get to the close of the season, maybe you're a U.S. national team player and uh, you don't feel like wearing a baseball cap, you don't feel like shaving your head anymore, but you don't have time to go visit a doctor and take time away from training and all that stuff. Instead, you can go to 4 and they will connect you with medical grade solutions so you can deal with the problem and they will send them right to your door so you don't even have to go out to get them it's all very very easy 
Our listeners can get a trial month of Hymns for just $5 today. Right now, while supplies last, you can see the website for full details and safety information. But this would cost hundreds if you went to a doctor or a pharmacy. But if you go to 4 slash Total Soccer, that's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash Total Soccer, then you can get their trial month for just $5. One more time, 4 slash Total Soccer. Thank you very much to Hymns for sponsoring today's episode. Now back to Matt Doyle. My final question for you about the national team is more about uh, the conflict between the national team and Major League Soccer. Uh, Burhalter spoke a little bit about his frustration that MLS continues to operate during this window. So uh, as an example, that's why he cited why uh, Bradley, Josie, and Omar Gonzalez won't be there because he wanted to like leave them with Toronto. Do you share that frustration, Like even from a workload standpoint? like Are you focusing on Major League Soccer and U.S. national team games at the same time? Like, Would you like to see MLS sort of observe that break, even if it means you have to work more like midweek? week for some midweek fixtures of course of course i i like i I, it's my big gripe with the schedule this year i think that by compressing it by a month um we lost the opportunity to to actually observe all of these international breaks Mm -hmm. and it's it's really frustrating um and, and granted these are just friendlies but still friendlies matter and um we're only a year from the start of world world cup qualifying um, so I, I would much rather have seen, you know, the full squad here uh, and, and MLS taking the full week off. Uh, so one player who is included, Miles Robinson, also is now a U.S. Open Cup winner uh, with Atlanta winning 2-1 to <laughs> last night. It felt for a moment like it was not going to be as close of a game as it ended up being. Uh, Atlanta jumping out to what a 2-0 lead inside of like 16 minutes. Uh, Minnesota pulled one back, but Atlanta finished with the U.S. Open Cup. Matt, uh, what were your takeaways from that game, and, and was it did it end up being more enjoyable than you thought it would be in those first 15? Yeah, I thought it was going to be, you know, once the first 15 were done, I thought it was going to end up five nil. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, you know, part of it was, it was Atlanta sort of like easing off the throttle because I think they probably thought it was all done and dusted at that point. And part of it was like, you got to give a lot of credit to, uh, to Minnesota United for the way they came out in the second half because they didn't think it was over. Um, and, and you know, if, if Michael Boxall doesn't miss from two yards, <laughs> you know, in, in second half stoppage time, it wouldn't have been over. They would have, they would have sent it to extra time. Um, it was, it was a lot of fun and it showed a lot of the good stuff that miles Robinson has, uh, has been able to add to his game and the stuff that I think he, he kind of already had in terms of his ability to, to blow up counterattacks. He's, uh, I think he's going to end up being a really good addition to the, to the U S national team. I have some concerns about his like long range passing and his ability to kind of be on the ball the way I think Greg Berhalter wants. Uh, some people have not agreed. Most of them have like Atlanta United avatars. Uh, what do you make of, of Miles Robinson's passing ability? Uh, I think it's improved by leaps and bounds okay. year over year. Uh, and we, you know, he, he's not he's not going to hit those like Matt Beasler fifty yard switches on a dime. But he does a lot of, of breaking the lines with his passing now, um, which is something that I don't think anybody really expected. And it's like, he's not playing through balls, but like, you know, the, the forward or the way, they, the way Atlanta plays, it's 3-4-2-1. So it's like always one of Petey or Barco checking into the half space. Um, Miles Robinson has gotten really good at playing to those guys, like right to their feet, right as they check to the half space. 
Um, it's rehearsed. It's very clearly rehearsed. He knows what he's looking for. But the fact that he's executing it at a high level uh, it speaks well to, to his ability to improve. And that's, like, that's a skill set all on its own. The ability to continue to add to your game is something that not every player has. And, and you know, Robinson, as I said, he's, he's shown it at a high level. I mean, he, he, ripped, he ripped Club America up with his passing, uh, which is like, okay, like people are just missing the Campioni's Cup. I disagree with that, but whatever. Like if you watch that game, Club America was going out there trying to win that game. And, and Robinson was constantly able to, to sort of evade the first line of their pressure um, with the ball on his foot and then hit like a very good pass to get Atlanta in a position where they had numerical superiority. So I'm kind of conflicted by Atlanta. So I'm going to like just kind of uh, verbalize that and I'm going to let you respond. Um, but basically, like I, I have a hard time understanding them this season because like uh, first season, they make the playoffs. That's very good for an expansion team. We'll talk more about expansion teams in a sec. Then winning MLS Cup. Now they've won US Open Cup. And yet it feels like like if they don't have a very strong run, if not like make it to MLS Cup again, then like the season is unsuccessful. And I feel like that comes down to Frank DeBoer and the sort of like, I almost equate him with Maurizio Sarri at Chelsea, that like even when they're performing performing well, it still feels like Atlanta fans are a couple bad games away from going right back to being really frustrated with him. But I can't tell if that's just sort of me letting social media like 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 color the way I see things. So I'm wondering from your perspective, do you think people have bought into Frank DeBoer a little bit more? Do you think he is more of a stable figure uh, for Atlanta United uh, and their fans? Uh, I think so. Certainly more than a month ago. Uh, but he's not yet at the level where where Tata was in that fan base's eyes. Do you think anyone ever um, will be? Is, I feel like Tata Martino will be forever this like immortal, untouchable figure. I mean, you might be right because that team, when they came in, they played you know, beautiful soccer, winning soccer over two years, and they finished it by by hoisting the trophy that they most wanted to hoist. Um, it's tough to it's tough to match that, and and so far DeBoer hasn't. Um, but I'll tell you what. Uh, his team's already shown they could beat Mexican teams. They beat Monterey in the CCL, and they beat Club America in Campeones Cup. Uh, And if he does that again uh, this coming coming spring, because now they are officially in CCL again, Mm -hmm. um, maybe he will. Maybe he will pass Tata. But just from a neutral perspective, in general, his team has not been anywhere near as much fun to watch. Um, they've figured some of that out. And I think it's maybe him loosening the reins a little bit. Some of it is just bizarrely the fact that Justin Miram, it turns out is an amazing left wing back who can play end line to end line, um, which is like, nobody saw that coming. Um, and some of it might just be that these guys actually are champions and they had six months of frustration and they said, okay, well, it's not going to change. So let's get down to it and let's, you know, let's play the type of soccer that we're, we're capable of playing. And how many games, like official competitions against Mexican teams, do you have to win before you're automatically named U.S. national team manager? <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know, but it, it's actually a good question to ponder going forward. And I, I bet uh, Bob Bradley, for one, will have a take on that. 
next winter in the run-up to CCL. So. Yeah, that, that checks out. Um, uh, I mentioned yeah. expansion teams. We're going to go to the opposite side of the table here. Uh, because it has been a rough season uh, for FC Cincinnati and their fans, um, and that seems like it's kind of generally the case when it comes to expansion franchises. For every Atlanta or Portland, there are many other examples of teams that struggle and do so kind of consistently. Why do you think that is? Like, I know it's kind of an obvious question of like, oh, they're starting off, but delving a little bit deeper, it seems like if you're, if you're trying to make a splash, you're trying to hit the ground running, you want to like be as strong as you possibly can be and yet it genuinely seems like some franchises take the opposite approach of like ah we'll figure it out at some point it'll be fine yeah yeah i mean it's it's strange and i I know that like like some teams kind of bristle at the idea of a soft launch um minnesota united in particular uh but like that's kind of what they did They, they said all right let's you know let's see what we can build in in year one and year two. And then year three is when we're really going to be ready to go all in because we'll have, you know, figured out what works and what doesn't and uh, be able to sort of adjust and tweak and, and and change and improve along the way. I, I I get it because you don't want to set expectations too high. And I also get it because if you go out and you spend the way Atlanta spent on you know, on imports, um, and you get it wrong, then look, not every, not every ownership group can afford or, or will afford and choose to afford to buy out a player like Andre Horta or to sell him back at a significant loss. Um, and I think that's in a lot of ways, that's, that's the difference. Um, but I, I think the bigger way it's a difference is that like Tata Martino is one of the best coaches he's ever coached in MLS. And if you look at his, his background, you know, with Paraguay with, uh, you know, in, in the Argentinian league and with Argentina, I thought it was Argentina. Like I've watched Argentine soccer really close for 25, 30 years. I thought the couple of years that they had under Tata was the best they played since the nineties. Um, and, and like, he, he's a really great coach and Bob Bradley. is a really great coach. And I think that the difference in terms of those two guys um, and the other coaches that we've seen come in at the head of uh, expansion teams is pretty significant. And I think that, especially because in this era where coaching matters so much, um, that more than anything else is, is, the, is a differentiator. Hey, everybody, this is Taylor jumping in for one quick second. Uh, Much more still to come from Matt Doyle. But first, I wanted to let you know that today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by our friends over at Roughneck Scarves. That's uh, roughneckscarves.com, R-U-F-F-N-E-C-K, scarves.com. You know them. You should love them because they've been one of our longest sponsors and because they are the makers of the high-quality, very nice scarves. They're the official scarf provider for U.S. Soccer, Major League Soccer, the NCAA, and the USL. They do also have the custom scarf option where you can design your own, which is uh, what I want to talk about today because I asked on Twitter, basically, if you were to design a custom Roughneck scarf to represent this current uh, iteration of the U.S. Men's National Team, this current roster, uh, what would be on it? We had a lot of answers. They're all in kind of one of two camps. Uh, the first one comes from uh, No One O Consequence uh, on Twitter. Uh, a picture of Morris and Zardes both chasing a terrible first touch with Sargent in a warm-up jersey in the background on one side and me crying on the other. So yeah, that's one perspective. Um, 
Our friends over at the High Press Pod uh, suggested a bunch of baby emojis to represent all the young talent being called up on one side and a picture of old Yeller getting taken out back to represent the U.S. men's national team ushering out the old guard, Josie, Bradley, Wando, etc. Hopefully not with that level of finality, uh, but a good suggestion. Uh, Lili says Sergino Dest, that is all. Similarly, the uh, MLS Aces podcast suggests Frankie de Jong handing Sergino Dest a torch, and that is all. Uh, I'm not sure what to make of either one of those, although I like them both because they feature Sergino Dest, and that's enough to make me happy. Uh, David Morales says the promise and hope brought about by Sergeant overlooked by the looming presence of Zardes ready to break my heart. Some Zardes skepticism, I guess, is what I'm picking up on here. And finally, uh, at DKVSA1412 says Paul Revere racing back to the USMT headquarters yelling, the kids are coming, with Dest, Pomacall, Sergeant, and Robinson chasing him. That seems like a solid one. I like all the imagery there. Uh, although I don't like the idea of them being put into red coats or anything like that. I'm assuming they're chasing him to show support. Um, and if you would like to show support to Roughneck Scarves, again, the official scarf provider for U.S. Soccer, Major League Soccer, NCAA, and the USL, uh, you can do so and you can get 20% off any scarf in the shop with the promo code TOTALSOCCERSHOW. That's all one word, all uppercase, all together. 20% off any scarf in the shop with the promo code Total Soccer Show. So thank you very much to Roughneck Scarves for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you to everyone who suggested those uh, great custom designs. I very much appreciate it. And I very much appreciate Mr. Matt Doyle uh, joining me to talk U.S. Soccer, U.S. Open Cup, Major League Soccer, all that good stuff. So back to me talking to Matt. We've talked a lot about Atlanta United, but you can mention them again when I ask this question. Um, with that in mind, which teams do you think are the best coached in the league right now? I mean, LAFC, for mm-hmm. sure. I, I think, uh, you know, I had my my questions about Matias Almeida because um, I, I still think that on a very real level, the full-on man-marking that San, ha- San Jose does is kind of a gimmick. Um but it's a gimmick that works because he gets complete buy-in from his team on both sides of the ball. And um, as gimmicky as that defense is, their attack is electric. They, they have really clear ideas of what to do. So they're a really well-coached team. Um, I still think Sporting Kansas City is a really well-coached team. I think Peter Vermees is an excellent coach. I think he's maybe shown his limits at the GM in terms of talent identification. Um, and, and maybe he needs to get some of that taken off his plate. Uh, I really love what Jim Curtin's done over the last four years. Like, I thought he was a young coach with potential four years ago, and now I just think he's a good coach. Um, and I think Luchi Gonzalez is another guy who's going to head in that direction. Um, I'm not sure on, on Dome Torrent yet, because he was terrible at this time last year. Um, and he's kind of fixed it, and they're playing good soccer now too. Uh, but there's like there's, – I thought last year – at the start of last year, there was like a tier of like six or seven coaches who were really, really good. Um, and this year, it's not quite as clear cut. It feels like it's pretty clear cut when it comes to the Western Conference uh, with uh, LA1 already securing their spot, or LAFC, I should say, securing their spot. Uh, like, is that all down to Bob Bradley, or do you feel like a huge part of it is like the. Well, let me rephrase it this way. Like, is it, is it crazy to you, uh, for having covered Major League Soccer as long as you have, to watch El Trafico and see, like, the personalities that are on those touchlines, but then also the players that are on the field? Because I imagine that would be really strange thinking back to, like, the start of the league in the early 2000s and mm-hmm. some of the talents that were being brought in then. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is different um, in its way, but you gotta, you gotta remember 
that the defining team of the first four years of MLS was that DC United team. Mm-hmm. And they were like, their stars were Marco Echeverri, who, you know, as a came over as like a 26, 27 year old. So came over right in his prime. And right after becoming, you know, he was, I think, third in the balloting for South American Player of the Year in 95. Um, you know, Echeverri and Jaime Moreno, who was this really good young South American player, and then Eddie Pope, who was a star for the U.S. Olympic now, team. What happened to Bolivia? Hart. I want to know what happened to Bolivia when you have those two guys it's, and then it all kind of falls off. It's really bizarre. Um, and I, I think, like, it feels like that's a good question for Archibald or one of the guys who's uh, really plugged in in South America. But, like, I, I remember seeing that D.C. United team who stood out because of the players that they had and, frankly, how stylish they their approach was. Like, they played beautiful soccer. Um, and thinking, like, this is, this is the future of the league. This is what MLS is going to be for the next, you know, 50 years. It's going to be the League of the Americas. And I thought the future would be immediate. <laughs> and it, took, it took about 20 years for the future to really arrive. Um, so it feels like a flashback in that way except amplified by a thousand now because of soccer-specific stadiums um, and because of the types of crowds. I'm glad you mentioned that because, like, they they are a team that, I mean, I watched D.C. in 96, and and they're the team that I, like, generally support in Major League Soccer. I'm not claiming to be a diehard or anything like that. But I do have those same memories of them being this incredibly impressive team. And then there's the year they bring in Roy Lasseter, and it almost becomes, like, unfair in my mind. And But I guess I just kind of assume that, like, eh, that was probably just, like, 13-year-old Taylor thinking they were that good and not really going back and watching them again. So maybe that's the thing I, I should do. Maybe we'll do that for Soccer 101 is go back and revisit that, like, inaugural D.C. team and see just how good they I mean, were by modern standards. Remember that 98 team, which is like they didn't win the Supporter Shield and they didn't win MLS Cup and they, they didn't win U.S. Open Cup. I think they finished second in, in all, three, uh, all three competitions. But they, they played uh, Toluca in, in the Champions Cup, which is the forerunner of the Champions League, beat them. And then they played Vasco da Gama, who were uh, the Copa Libertadores Champions. That that Vasco team was like they were easily the best team in South America. And DC played them over two legs in something called the Intercontinental Cup, which is no longer an official thing. Um, it only lasted a couple of years. DC United beat them. That '98 DC United team beat them. They were really, really good. I think if you took that team and plunked them down in this year's playoffs, you would say, okay, this is the top four or five team in MLS. Now, where the difference is they would never last for the regular season because they only had about 15, 16 players, really. Um, <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. At most. Yeah, I mean, like, they had a roster deeper. They had 22-man roster. But, like, most of those guys, once you got past the first, like, eight or ten, couldn't play in MLS today. So it's a big change. And it's really weird to talk about a D.C. United team that only has maybe 15 or 16 players that seem capable and maybe can't last for an entire season (laughs) uh, because that leads to my final question for you. Uh, Which current playoff team, or at least maybe my final question, which current playoff team do you think maybe ends up on the outside looking in, and why is it D.C. United? Uh, Well, I mean, if they keep playing as they have been, they're they're in a lot of trouble. But I think... I honestly think they gave themselves enough of a, of a cushion 
at the start of the season. Um, so I think they'll back in and I think they'll play 90 minutes and they'll get eliminated on the road somewhere. And that'll be that for this super disappointing 2019 season. But the team that I think is actually in the most trouble is Toronto FC. Mm-hmm. Um, because first of all, five of their final seven are, are on the road. Um, and I, I keep waiting for them to look like they are a, to look like they're bought in for the full 90 minutes. Uh, because it, like whenever they're bought in and it only happens 10 or 20 minutes at a time, they're awesome. And they showed it this past weekend against Montreal. Um, but like it's, it's almost September and you're, you have a home game against a rival and there's a playoff spot on the line and you come out and like a walking pace for the first 60 minutes. Like, what the hell is that? And like, if they couldn't do it in that game, like why, why should I have any confidence in, in their ability to do it um, over the next seven games, which they probably need to get 12 points. Um, so, so it's like, I, I, I don't know, man, something is broken with Toronto FC. And I, I actually think that Montreal, because Montreal have five of their final six at home. I think Montreal is going to be able to, to jump over them and get that last playoff spot in the East. And, and which team that maybe has had an unsuccessful season do you think is most likely to like successfully overhaul? Or who do you think has the kind of inclination to change it up, bring in some new pers- personnel when it comes to the front office to make those changes down the road? Oof. Uh, that's a, it's, a, it's a big question because there are a lot of teams who need a lot of work (laughs) and like honestly most of them have already started doing it Mm -hmm. um you know we've seen it in cincinnati we've seen columbus now start to turn over their roster a little bit bring in a good young dp and diaz and um you know we've seen houston colorado make coaching changes vancouver made a big front office change um the one to keep an eye on in terms of players to me is sporting okay Uh, because like, I, again, I think Vermees is a really good coach. I think he made a, the wrong choice in terms of uh, some of his GM stuff. And they're going to have the opportunity to rebuild a chunk of that roster this offseason, get some young legs in there, maybe get a, you know, a real starting caliber center forward in there, and they could bounce back in a hurry in, in 2020. All right. Well, if they do, I'm sure you'll be here to, uh, or hopefully you'll be here to talk to us about it. Uh, but Matt, I really appreciate it. I know this is like your... Wait, no, I got a question. I got oh, a no. question for you now. Oh boy, okay. Because after last night's uh, U.S. Open Cup championship, uh-huh. uh, the, the story on Twitter from a lot of folks, fans, journalists, whatever, was that they were discounting um, Atlantis Campioni's Cup win against club america uh-huh. um and i understand why this is the second year of it it it, it was kind of like just i don't want to say arbitrarily but it, it sort of came out of the blue a year ago and nobody's sure exactly how significant it is mm-hmm. um and and to you as someone who has seen stuff like the intercontinental cup which we mentioned before has seen that come into play as someone who has seen uh you know, CONCACAF Champions League go from kind of like, what is this to, oh my God, we have to win this and has seen other, um, let's say less prestigious tournaments mm-hmm. come and go. Where does, where does that Campionis Cup rank for you in terms of 
Atlanta United's accomplishments or should, let's say, LAFC beat Tigris next year, where would it rank for that? Uh, Like for Atlanta, I would put it fifth on the list right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would have winning MLS Cup. Uh, being a huge one. I, I really do think like uh, U.S. Open Cup is in there. I think making the playoffs and looking as exciting as they did right away is up there. And then I think the whether or not you want to call it like wildly successful, I think going from Tata to Frank DeBoer um, is, is a major accomplishment. So I feel like all of those are maybe ahead of it, which I think is a way of answering your question to say that like right now, I don't think of that competition as as that big of a deal. It's exciting to see them mm-hmm. win, but I think it's because to be to speak very honestly, I get a little bit frustrated by how much branded sponsored stuff there is and sometimes it feels <laughs> like the internet intercontinental cup for example is not one that you let off with by being like the intercontinental cup presented by at&t and i feel like the more stuff there is like that whether rightly or wrongly the more stuff that exists like that the more i'm like does this matter or is this just another opportunity <laughs> to make a little bit of money and i think to your initial point if this keeps going and it keeps being an exciting thing that people do start to kind of buy into and feel like it's an important competition and Mexican teams are caring about it, then I think I buy into it a little bit more. But when it feels more like a kind of marketing gimmick first and then an opportunity to compete second, at least that's how it feels to me, that's where I'm, I'm less excited about it. So it's, it's kind of at the Community Shield level or like UEFA uh, Super Cup level. Uh, probably UEFA Super Cup. I, Cause like I, I used to be excited about the community shield only because, uh, I was a Manchester United fan and it was like, Hey, they're doing stuff and maybe it'll count. And then uh, the manager can say they won four trophies or whatever. But I think it's probably mm-hmm. Super Cup in that it's like a thing that I know people care about and gets coverage, but I still just have a hard time being like, okay, but what is it now? Like, okay, so it's the two best teams, but like, do either of them care? And like, are they starting their starters? Like it's that sort of level for me. Yeah. I think that's a fair comparison. All right. Good to know. <laughs> have I have I upset you? Have I personally offended you now? No, no, no. It, it, like it, it, that clarifies it for me a little bit. And like I, I kind of look at it, I kind of look at it the same way. Um, and I was super cynical about both the the Campeones Cup and the Leagues Cup uh, when both were announced, and then you know covering them and everything. But even the process of covering, like seeing how much the Mexican teams cared, um, that that did it for me because the thing to remember is, is that for Mexican teams for Liga MX teams, it's still, it's an embarrassment to lose to an MLS team. Um, So they come out there and they play with, you know, some Aguante and they, they, they tend to play their best 11s and they tend to be really, really angry uh, when they lose. Uh, And that ended up hooking me really fast. Um, And I don't think it's like, I don't, compare winning Campione's Cup to Open Cup, MLS Cup, or the Supporter Shield, which I still think is the best trophy to win, mm. um, and certainly not to CONCACAF Champions League win or if an MLS team ever wins that. Um, but I I found it to be good, intense soccer uh, and had a lot of fun with it. So That actually helps because I think it's whenever it feels like a, like a – 
maybe like leaning towards a gimmick and then the players are sort of like, oh, you're not going into challenges. I'm like, oh, you guys aren't really trying that hard. You pulled out of that one. That should have been a yellow card, but the ref didn't want to give it. That's when I sort of start to lose interest. But if, if it is the case that they're going into challenges and really want to win and don't like each other, then I, then I can buy in, Doyle. I think you, you sold a little bit. But I have one follow-up question <laughs> to something you said. Do Liga mm-hmm. Mekis teams see it as an embarrassment to lose to MLS teams because of the way the league is perceived in Mexico? Or is it because losing to any American team or North American team is like seen as a failure? I think it's both. I, I, and I think the, the perception is, is, is getting better, but still, um, like they've won what, all 13 CONCACAF Champions League. So like yeah, that. This is there's still a perception, which is probably justifiable, that MLS is the little brother in the relationship. Um, so I think it's that. And uh, then inherent to that is the panic when you actually do lose. Like, oh, my God, we're, we're losing our, our edge. We're losing our ability to be uh, the dominant team in the relationship. And we saw that or in the rivalry. And we saw that in – the 2000s with the U S versus Mexico on the national team level. All right. All right. Well, I, I appreciate you helping me understand all these things, Doyle. Thank you. And for enlightening me on things like how good Corey Baird is at the soccer's. So thank you for that. <laughs> no problem, my friend. It's good to chat with you. Yeah. Good to chat with you. Uh, thank you for, for flipping the tables. The only other person who does that is Alexi Lalas. He will always flip it and start asking us questions. And I guess Bobby does that too. I'm sure that will come as no surprise to you that Bobby Warshaw yeah, pauses to ask questions. Neither of those. Neither <laughs> of those is a surprise to me. <laughs> but I'll add you to that list now so you can uh, enjoy that or not. I leave it to you. But Doyle, thank you very much. Uh, obviously, MLS Soccer is where people can find you. Um, and your Twitter avatar one more time is, or Twitter name one more time is? Matt Doyle 76. There we go. All right, Doyle. Well, thank you very, very much. Uh, I will let you get back to, uh, I'm assuming, writing many, many things about the U.S. national team in Major League Soccer, uh, but thank you again. All right. You got it, bud.